Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Debunked is a new podcast produced by the USU Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative and USU Extension in conjunction with Utah Public Radio. It focuses on harm reduction and debunking myths around the opioid crisis. Their newest episode focuses on providing up-to-date evidence-based resources regarding COVID-19, suggestions on how to implement harm reduction practices to reduce the burden of COVID-19, and debunking COVID-19 myths. Today on the program, we'll hear excerpts from this episode, which you can find at upr.org, upr.org and other uh, places where you normally get your podcasts. And we're going to talk with the host of Debunked, Tim Light, also Debunked's program director, Dr. Sandra Solzer, USU Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Health Sciences and Health and Wellness Extension Specialist for Utah. should mention Debunked is additionally sponsored by Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. And uh, you can find, as I mentioned, debunked, uh, among other places, at upr.org. A couple of uh, notes here before we begin. The uh, daily White House COVID-19 briefing, uh, press briefing, uh, is the, uh, in the afternoon today. So 3.30 is the scheduled time. We'll have that for you. And there's a uh, new national call-in program, daily call-in program by, from National Public Radio. We're going to carry that. That's 7 p.m. every day. It's called uh, uh, The National Conversation. And you can call in with your questions and comments. Uh, they'll have all the reporters from NPR to give you the latest. 7 p.m. starting tonight. That'll push the repeat of Access Utah back to 8 o'clock as it happens back to 9 o'clock and uh, performance today to 10 o'clock. So with all of that out, out of the way, we uh, welcome in uh, Tim Light. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you uh, joining us. And uh, Sandra Solzer, thanks for joining us. Yes, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, just before we jump into this conversation, here's the latest headlines from the Salt Lake Tribune. This is, of course, is the coronavirus pandemic fast-moving story. A uh, huge LDS missionary welcome was unacceptable, state leaders say. Of course, the ritual for the returning missionaries of Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, everybody goes to the airport. Uh, that's not such a good idea uh, with a lot of returning missionaries uh, nowadays. Um, let's see, Representative Ben McAdams was hospitalized with coronavirus. Senators Mike Lee and Mitt Romney self-quarantined. And this one we want to talk about during this hour, coronavirus earthquake overburdening Salt Lake County's homeless resource system. Uh, let me start with um, Sandra Salter. Um, so normally debunked is about debunking myths regarding uh, the opioid crisis. And a big portion of this is harm reduction. Uh, tell me about harm reduction. Harm reduction is the idea that, you know, there are people who um, are unable or unwilling to stop using drugs. For example, if you're actively addicted, um, you can't just go cold turkey and feel okay, right? And so from a public health perspective, what we want to do is we want to keep people healthy and cared for as much as possible for as long as possible, uh, because the ugly reality is that after someone has passed away from overdose, they're not able to get into treatment or to get support or to get needed health care. So harm reduction is all about um, providing all of the supportive services to people who may not be entirely abstinent so that they can work toward recovery on their own terms. Hmm. Um, and so it includes programs like needle exchanges, etc.? Syringe uh, exchange, absolutely. Overdose reversal medication and teaching people how to use that in case you witness an overdose. But it also includes things like making sure people have good nutrition and access to basic medical services. 
Uh, Tim Light, uh, why did you want to do a podcast on this topic? Um, I think, um, you know, harm reduction is all about compassion, and compassion speaks uh, speaks to my value system. Um, the pe- people who use drugs um, are often marginalized and um, sort of demonized. And uh, as I started working with um, Dr. Solzer on the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative, um, my eyes were open to the com- complexity of this issue and um, and really how many people just are marginalized and mistreated um, who also use drugs. And so I wanted to do, you know, we all came together on our team um, in order to, you know, create this podcast so that we could, you know, disseminate this knowledge and help people see that everybody um, who is a human is a human, no matter if they use drugs or if they don't or, you know, what have you. And so um, being people, they're entitled to compassion, and we need to, you know, give them compassion and help them get well, especially if we're coming from a public health standpoint. Um, so, uh, Dr. Sulzer, tell us about the uh, this initiative, the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration um, and the USDA have both been funding us here at USU um, through the extension system to educate both providers, health providers, and just everyday people about what harm reduction is, um, really to reduce the stigma around it. There are a lot of myths, um, such as, Um, If someone gets medication-assisted treatment like methadone, the myth that they're just substituting one drug for another. And we realized we could do a lot to help reduce stigma um, by just tackling those myths head-on, by just talking about them out loud, talking through the evidence, sharing the science, um, and as Tim said, trying to increase the compassion uh, that people feel towards Mm. people who are struggling. By the way, do you you get pushback for these kinds of ideas? You know, something like a syringe exchange. I could see people, This the government, right? The health department goes out and does this along with other organizations. Uh, I could see some people saying, well, uh, you know, why are we encouraging drug use? could be seen as that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's a myth that distributing um, uh, syringes encourages drug use. Um, there's no scientific evidence that providing um someone with an unused syringe is going to lead them to start injecting heroin, for example. Um, But there is substantial evidence that it can reduce the rate of HIV transmission, um, hepatitis transmission. And also, going back to that harm reduction perspective, if people um, are sharing needles um, and they're much more likely to share an infection, um, they're much more likely to experience a harm that is going to prevent them from being able to seek treatment um, when they're able and when they're ready. So, yeah, I think there are people out there who really think, man, if we provide these services, we're just incru- you know, encouraging drug use. I think what maybe they don't realize is that about 80% of overdose deaths begin with the doctor's office prescription and that the overwhelming majority of people who become addicted to drugs did so through, you know, a totally normal routine thing that any of us do, Right. Once you're addicted, you're addicted, and it doesn't matter who you are. So failing to show compassion uh, after someone has that illness, I think that's what Tim was talking about earlier, where we demonize those people and we say they're bad, those are bad people, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, these people are really struggling with a serious health condition. What can we do to help them get healthier? 
Uh, Tim Light, um, uh, the, the title of episode two really uh, struck me, and the, the course, it was a couple of great episodes. Uh, by the way, the, the episode we're talking about today is 2.5. You, you hurried and uh, got a COVID-19 one together. But uh, episode two, good people like me don't become addicted. Yeah, I mean, um, that episode, I was going to comment when Sandy, uh, when Dr. Schulzer was talking. Um, we talk on that episode about how addiction does not discriminate. And um, Jay Hymas, who's one of our editorial board members, he is featured on this uh, on that episode, and um, he's in long-term recovery. He talks about his story, and he tells some really moving, um, some really moving stories about how addiction really doesn't discriminate. And you can live in a, a really nice neighborhood, you can live in a safe neighborhood, and you still can become addicted to drugs. Um, it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status um, or what have you. Um, addiction is all about... Um, we have Chris, Dr. Christy Perusnik on that episode as well, who's an epidemiologist from the University of Utah. And she talks about how addiction is biology, it's physiology, and therefore it doesn't discriminate meaning it, it affects all people, it can affect all people. And so if someone is suffering from an addiction, it's a health concern, it's a disorder, and we need to treat it that way. And, it, you know, it's not something that we should demonize people like we've said already. Mm. I wonder if you talk about, and then I'll, I'll go to Dr. Sulzer on this as well, uh, you know, this Salt Lake Tribune headline, you talk about this in, in the latest episode as well, uh, how COVID-19 you know, hits vulnerable people, especially hard. Uh, this headline, Coronavirus and the Earthquake Overburdening Salt Lake County's Homeless Resource System, um, maybe a little more difficult for homeless people, for example, to social distance. Yeah, I mean, if somebody doesn't have a home to go to, um, I, I just can't even imagine how difficult that is. Uh, I mean, words can't even describe how difficult that must be. And then, you know, vulnerable populations, the elderly, we talk about senior citizens in there. Um, also, anybody with a comorbidity, um, the data is showing that, that COVID-19 affects them uh, more seriously, as we can expect. Um, so, yeah, we talk a little bit about those, but um, yeah, we're, we're just trying to show compassion here, and we need to think about these vulnerable populations when we're, you know, approaching these social distancing efforts. Uh, Dr. Salter, anything you'd like to say about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of similarities in how we treat people who are unhoused um, and how we treat people who use drugs, um, where we sort of have this um, cultural mindset sometimes like, oh, it's your it's your fault. It's your fault that you don't have a place to go to. Um, but I think the latest statistic on the number of Americans who live paycheck to paycheck is it's almost 80%. So four out of five Americans are really one paycheck away from not having secure housing, which is an alarming statistic. Uh, so really, it could be any of us. It could be almost any of us. And um, COVID-19, I think, when we're saying, you know, with, for example, a homeless shelter, that there need to be more space between the beds and whatnot, I think it's highlighting um, these, these resources were often overtaxed to begin with, and they don't really have the capacity um, to easily and quickly respond to a public health crisis. And that sort of seems to me like a big disconnect for us um, as, as citizens that, that we have these problems, that we have so many people living on the edge of um, 
possibly needing services like that, and and yet so few resources that are allocated there. Mm. Um, anything you'd like to, anything, especially uh, first to Dr. Seltzer with this and then to Tim Light, um, anything particularly stand out to you from the first two episodes that you'd like to highlight? Uh, then we'll take a break and, uh, and we'll hear the, the first uh, bit of the newest episode. I think the most important thing um, to highlight about the first couple of episodes is just basically every episode is a mixture of the scientists coming together, community members coming together, people in recovery coming together. We adhere strongly to the idea nothing about us without us, which means we don't have episodes um, without the input of people who are in recovery um, or who are personally affected by the crisis. Um, Everything we're sharing with you is a mixture of that um, hardline uh, scientific evidence and also the personal stories that can hopefully help you connect with that evidence um, and relate it back to your own life and your own neighborhood. Uh, Tim Light, uh, anything uh, you've, you've talked about, a couple things, uh, anything else you'd like to say, particularly jump out at you from the, that you'd like to highlight from the first two episodes? Yeah, um, the biggest thing to me is that harm reduction is all about compassion. And um, when we talk and when we educate about these, you know, these uh, concepts and these practices of harm reduction, these evidence-based best practices, um, we're talking about compassion. We're talking about keeping people alive, keeping them healthy, you know, improving their um, their overall well-being, and you know, reaching out, meeting them where they're at, and uh, taking them by the hand, and you know, helping them get well on their terms mm-hmm. and on their timeline. So, so uh, on, on their terms, on their timeline, we'll talk about this a little later as well, but uh, as it often means, what, going out to the street? Yeah, and Dr. Solzer can probably speak to this better than I can, but yeah, it can, it can mean that, um, particularly with syringe exchange um, programs. But also our, our research that we do at the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative, um, it's called Community-Based Participatory Research. So all, everything we do, um, is guided by community members. All of the research we do, all of our efforts are guided by community members, and we're there to help each community in which we're researching and working. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Seltzer, again, before we go to break, uh, anything you want to say about uh, you know, reaching uh, people in trouble uh, you know, where they are? You know, um, our governor in Utah declared this last weekend a weekend of service. And I think it was a call to all of us to, you know, even if you feel a little uneasy inside or or worse than that, right, to remember that there are those among us who um, might be struggling more. I know in Salt Lake County that there is, uh, you can sign up to volunteer at the food bank um, with social distancing. You must sign up online. Um, There are so many uh, groups coming together to support people who are vulnerable right now, um, and they're great mental health benefits to volunteering. So we have to volunteer a little bit differently under COVID-19, but I really encourage everyone to take that governor's message to heart. It doesn't just need to be for a weekend. Um, If we all come together and we all reach out to support our neighbors, uh, we're going to get through this a lot better in the long run. Mm. Uh, I want to bring this forward, uh, treat this again maybe a little later in the program. Uh, on this uh, episode, and we, we may or may not get to this uh, in the excerpts that we uh, will play, uh, but Sandra Sulcher, you said something that struck me. You said that you're checking in with two people a day 
Um, and if everybody did that, then everybody would be checked on. Absolutely. I mean, this virus um, moves exponentially. So I also mentioned if you stay home, you should think of it as keeping 10 people from getting sick. So I think we have to do our best also to respond exponentially. Um, I'm an introvert. Other people may be able to do more than two people a day. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've made that commitment. And um, at least for me, it's made me feel more connected to the people in my life who are vulnerable. And I've also been reaching out to other people I don't know as well, a neighbor who's sick, et cetera, dropping off a, a box of goods at the doorstep. Um, every little thing you do is going to add up, right? Everyone's having a hard time right now. Mm. Uh, so you're making phone calls. You say dropping off the doorstep. We want to keep our social distancing, of course, right? No matter how much we'd like to Absolutely. close the distance. But you're, are you making phone calls? Is that what you're doing? Making phone calls, um, helping connect people to resources if they have questions. Uh, because I am a professor of public health, uh, answering a lot of questions about what's true or what's not true. Um, on my Twitter feed, I'm committed to sharing only evidence-based information um, as is Debunked Pod and the USU Health Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook handles. Uh, we're trying really hard to curate the information that to reduce panic, um, but increase uh, how much people are informed. Um, so that, and this episode, this COVID-19 episode, was an effort to debunk some of the myths and help people feel a little bit more comfortable that they do know pretty much as well as one can know right now what's going on out there. So, um, yeah, when I drop off a box of uh, supplies for someone, I include, you know, some fresh fruit. I include, uh, you know, non-perishable items. I included some paper goods like Kleenex, but also some Clorox wipes so they can wipe down the box uh, and the outside of things uh, that I've given them just in case. Um, and obviously without any interaction physically in between because we are physically distancing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been promising a break for a long time here. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear a, uh, an excerpt from this latest podcast, uh, the episode of Debunked. Um, we are talking with um, Debunk's host, Tim Light, and Debunk's program director, Dr. Sandra Sulzer, who's a USU assistant professor of kinesiology and health science and health wellness and uh, health and wellness extension specialist for Utah. More following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Silicon Slopes Magazine, focused on Utah tech and startup industries and supporting good causes that affect us all. For more information about advertising in the magazine, visit siliconslopesmagazine.com, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. On the next Kutumaya World Music Hour, we'll bounce up and down to the buoyant beat of ska. From its home in Jamaica to Greece, Italy, Sweden, and Mexico. I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for World Ska, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. UPR hopes you will join us in thanking our business sponsors for their continued support of our mission to inform, inspire, and educate. Support from local businesses and industry is a big reason we are able to bring you insightful, objective, and necessary information in these uncertain times. What is certain? UPR's commitment to serve our listeners here and online at upr.org and through our UPR app. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. 
We're talking about a new podcast you can hear at upr.org. It's called Debunked. Uh, it's produced by the USU Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative and USU Extension in conjunction with UPR. It focuses on harm reduction and debunking myths about the opioid crisis. And the newest episode focuses on providing up-to-date evidence-based resources regarding COVID-19. We're talking with the host of Debunk, Tim Light, and Debunk's program director, Dr. Sandra Sulzer, who's USU Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Health Science and Health and Wellness Extension Specialist for Utah. So, Tim Light, uh, we've got that extensive bio for Dr. Sulzer. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Understand you're you're planning on a career in the medical field? Yeah, I'm finishing up my last uh, semester of undergraduate right now, and um, I am planning on attending Rocky Vista University Medical School in St. George. Um, either I'm, I'm waitlisted for this year, uh, accepted for next year, so in the near future I'll be heading off to medical school. Okay. Um, and I plan on focusing my career on vulnerable populations um, and um, global health. So that's uh, so a little I- bit about me. Okay, great. Uh, maybe I'll address this to you. Um, I've been wondering, you know, young people considering career in, in the medical field, whether more or less likely with COVID-19 outbreak to, to rush into this field. Because this is, this is front line, right? And medical people in a pandemic like this, uh, they're very much affected personally as well. I'd wonder what your thoughts on that are, Tim Light. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, for me, it's... It, um you know, it only makes me want to be a physician even more um, so that I can feel, uh, you know, because I want to feel useful. I, I feel useful now. I feel like it's really great what we're doing with the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative and, um, you know, the podcasts that we put out and stuff. Um, my dad is an emergency room physician in Montana, and it is a really scary time for healthcare workers. Um, unfortunately, it's a scary time when you have to be on the front lines. But Again, um, I can only speak to my, you know, to me personally, um, but, you know, COVID-19 hasn't, hasn't changed what I want to do for a career. Right. If anything, yeah. it's just solidified it. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, good luck with everything, and uh, congratulations on everything you are doing, including the podcast. So, uh, Sandra Saltzer, before we go to this excerpt from uh, Debunked, uh, I wonder what your comments on that. Uh, you're in, I guess this is a kind of exciting time to be in public health. Scary times, too. Well, you know, this semester I'm teaching a course on public health communication, and all of the students um, had to create a Twitter handle and um, learn how to create infographics um, and learn how to talk to the public, right, about complicated health issues. And so for me, um, as a faculty member, it's been very rewarding to see my students essentially on the public health front lines, making sure that the evidence-based information is getting disseminated, making sure that the rumors are not spreading, um, and, and organizing um, to create volunteer and other programs. So um, this is not the typical laboratory we have to work with, and it's certainly not one I would wish for my students, uh, but it's definitely a learning experience for all of us. Mm. Well, we've been promising this. Um, let's get a taste of Debunked. This is from episode 2.5, I think is what we're calling this, um, because this is focused uh, specifically on the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, so let's hear oh, a few minutes from the beginning of this latest uh, podcast. 
everyone. I'm Tim Light. Welcome to Debunked. COVID-19 is hitting Utah. This pandemic is affecting us all, so we decided to hold this emergency episode about the resources available to us to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and, you know, to, like, keep ourselves and one another physically and mentally healthy during this tense time. So today we have joining us um, Dr. Sandra Solzer, Heather Bush, and Hilary Deesh. Sandy, do you want to give us an introduction first? I'm Dr. Sandy Solzer. I am the Director of the Office of Health Equity and Community Engagement at Utah State University, and I'm the Project Director of this podcast, Debunked, and I'm on the Public Health Faculty at Utah State University. So my hope is that this team of experts coming together today uh, can speak to everyone to calm any fears or panic and also give some helpful tools. Um, so you can be informed and debunk any myths that you're hearing about COVID-19, um, especially as it pertains to some of our most vulnerable populations. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Heather, do you want to give us a little intro? Heather was on our show before, but in case anyone forgot. <laughs> How could you forget me? Um, this is Heather Bush. I am the <laughs> Syringe Exchange Program Coordinator for the Utah Department of Health. And I'm here today to talk about um, some harm reduction-related issues and how we can help protect some of our most vulnerable populations. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and then, Hillary, can you give us a quick little intro? Hillary's on our editorial board. Hi, everybody. Um, my name's Hillary Deesh. I'm on the editorial board um, of Debunked. I do a lot of writing and communicating about harm reduction, uh, and now I'm having to do some writing and thinking about COVID-19 and how that applies. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate you all being here on the show today. I forgot to mention, our audio might sound a little funny on this episode because we are recording this episode um, remotely, so none of us are in a studio together. We're all calling in to the studio to record this because right now with COVID-19, it's really important that everybody practice social distancing um, to stop the spread. And we're going to talk more about that throughout this episode. We wanted to make sure that you all understood that we're not sitting in close quarters in a little studio, you know, coughing on each other and things like that. Um, so what is, what is COVID-19? So the coronavirus, I just thought I would give a quick little definition of what COVID-19 is. Um, as it is listed on WHO's website, the World Health Organization's website. So coronavirus um, viruses are a large family of viruses that cause illness ranging from the common cold to more severe diseases such as Middle East Respiratory Syndrome or MERS and severe acute respiratory syndrome like SARS. Um, coronavirus disease, the COVID-19 strain, is a new strain that was discovered in 2019 and has not been previously identified in humans. I'm sure most people are aware that the common signs of infection include respiratory symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, and breathing difficulties. In more severe cases, infection can cause pneumonia, severe acute respiratory syndrome, kidney failure, and even death. Standard recommendations are, you know, we're going to talk about these on this episode, but, you know, to, to prevent the spread, we need to wash our hands and cover our mouth and noses when coughing and sneezing, thoroughly cook meat and, meat and eggs, and avoid contact with anyone showing symptoms of respiratory illness, such as coughing and sneezing. Um, so Heather shared with me three documents. Heather, can you tell us where those documents come from 
And then I, I, there's a statement in the one that is syringe services and harm reduction provider operations during the COVID-19 outbreak. That one, I wanted to ask you a question about that. So can you tell us about the three documents really quick? Sure. Um, so the National Harm Reduction Coalition, in conjunction with several other um, professional agencies, has put together some advisories, both for um, people who are providing syringe services and other harm reduction services um, during the um, COVID-19 outbreak, and also for people who are currently using drugs and some tips on how to lower their risk. So it's both for pr providers and um, participants or clients or um, people who are currently using drugs. So those two resources, then also um, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the national organization, has also sent out another fact sheet um, regarding some concerns both for people who are uh, working in perhaps um, drug and alcohol treatment facilities, substance abuse treatment, um, their clients and patients, as well as addressing some of the issues of people who have, you know, who are already prone to having a lot of trauma, substance abuse issues, mental health issues, um, trying to help them kind of cope as we all are with some of the stress and the fears that are, that come from this and, and people who are in residential facilities that are somewhat trapped um, and in perhaps close quarters, that can be um, an additional fear for them. Gosh, thanks so much. So these uh, three fact sheets will be up on our social media at Debunked Pod um, for everyone who listens to this to be able to, you know, get that information. So we have um, some myths that we want to address. The first big one is that we keep hearing is, is, it, um, is this virus an Asian virus? You know, are Asians more susceptible or something like that? Um, Dr. Solzer, do you want to give us a, you know, your comments on that myth? So I have heard people um, use the term Wuhan virus, and there might be a perception out there that uh, a certain racial group is, you know, more prone or less prone um, to contracting this virus. And that's a, that's a complete myth. There is no evidence whatsoever that any one group is more or less likely able to uh, contract the virus. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. The virus doesn't discriminate. Um, the idea that, you know, you can avoid the virus by avoiding um, Asian establishment is completely inaccurate. This myth, uh, well, it's racist, for one thing. And I think that now it's an especially dangerous time to, like, buy into these uh, racist notions um, because we people are experiencing a lot of isolation um, and fear anyway, and we should be doing what we can um, to show each other emotional support however we can, whether that's through phone calls or digitally or, you know, if we have a blog or whatever, um, and, and not continuing to marginalize particular groups of people. When Sandy mentioned that the, that the um, COVID-19 doesn't discriminate, um, it made me think about what um, harm reductionists and um, including the harm reductionists on this podcast, we always say that uh, drugs, whatever kind of drug, that also uh, do not discriminate. 
um, and that we need to really show some compassion right now. Yeah, totally. So, you know, Hillary pointed out that because of the social distancing and the, the need for us to do that, there is some isolation going on. And, um, you know, one of the myths we keep hearing is staying home or changing your daily behavior is probably a waste of time because everyone's going to catch the virus anyway. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that myth? The idea that um, one person can't make a difference by staying at home um, is deeply problematic. Um, it is possible that over a very long period of time, many or most of us may, may catch this virus. However, our hospitals or ICUs have a limited amount of capacity. And what we've seen is that this virus spreads exponentially. So for every one person who stays home, right, and doesn't catch the virus and doesn't transmit it, I want you to think about your staying home as your ability to help prevent 10 other people from becoming sick. That's how quickly this is moving, and that's the shape that it's taking. We've also seen data from South Korea where they were widely testing people who showed even mild symptoms. And we found 20 to 29-year-olds who were mild carriers who weren't experiencing many symptoms were the ones most likely to be passing along the virus. So the severity of your symptoms is not a perfect indicator of whether or not you can make someone else sick. The truth is that many people will transmit the virus unaware that they have it. And so, yes, eventually we may... We were uh, very interested in that, but I want to I want to uh, talk live with our guests so that we'll fade out of that uh, excerpt. Uh, you can get the whole episode of Debunked, all the episodes of Debunked at upr.org and uh, everywhere where you normally would get your podcasts as well. Uh, uh, Tim, anything you want to say on that? Where where do you get Debunked? Yeah, um, you can get Debunked on uh, the podcast app. If you have a, an Apple product, um, you can get it on Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Um, you can also find us on social media at DebunkedPod um, and on UPR.org. All right. Uh, just be, uh, I want to uh, maybe have each of you uh, talk about um, maybe another prominent myth that we didn't get to. You get to several in the podcast. Uh, Sandra Sulzer, any other myth that you especially want to address about COVID-19? Good question. Um, I think uh, a myth that we're hearing a lot is this is just like the flu. Um, We had our first death in Utah yesterday from COVID-19, and I did see people posting online, yeah, but how many people died of the flu on this day last year? And um, it's a myth to think that this is just like the flu. Um, (laughs) We would not be responding globally on this level Uh, if that were the case. Uh, So I just encourage people to realize that this thing spreads exponentially in a way that the flu does not, and it causes more severe symptoms and a larger percentage of people. Um, Not only is it, um, not only does it have a higher mortality rate than the flu, but even healthy people are finding that we need to put them on ventilators, which we don't have enough ventilators in our country or in the world for everyone to get sick at once. Um, and even young people are, are dying from this. So it's, it's not like the flu. If it were, 
you know, we wouldn't be social distancing. Uh, if it were, we would not be worried about hospitals being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, as I understand it, this this has the potential to not only affect the upper respiratory system, right, with the common cold, et cetera, but the lower respiratory as well and uh, can ca- cause breathing problems. So you, you said something that really struck me. So even, you know, quite healthy people, some of them need respirators to uh, to kind of help with the effects of COVID-19. So that that's, it highlights the need for respirators. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our our potential shortage of ventilators, um, you know, may be coming, and and that's why we're trying to respond now, so that if you stay home now, and that prevents this from spreading to ten more people, then you know that might be six or eight ventilators <laughs> that you know we don't have to put into action um, past the point that we don't have those ventilators. Mm-hmm. Now, it is true, I think, right, that, uh, I mean, at least in some people, they would get COVID-19 and it would manifest uh, in a more in a milder form. Absolutely. Some people um, don't even realize they have it initially, and you might be unsure. There are a lot of guides online about how to tell the difference between the cold, the flu, and COVID-19, but it's, it's not perfect. People are going to respond differently to the virus. Um, and we're learning that a lot of people are transmitting the virus before they're even aware that they're sick, but there's an incubation period. So you might feel completely fine and actually be spreading the virus. Mm. Uh, Tim Light, uh, any uh, any myths you particularly want to talk about with, with regard to COVID-19? Yeah, um, I just I, I want to address, you know, uh, that this is a really serious issue. Um, and, you know, that's that's like the myth that you guys were just talking about. You know, I can't count how many times people have said to me, it's just like the flu. It's no big deal. You know, of course this was two weeks ago before everyone was practicing more strict measures of physical distancing. But, um, like I said, my dad is an emergency room physician in Montana and, um, his experience is a lot different than what the average person probably is experiencing. But, um, you know, he's, uh, received, internal emails um, from other hospital staff um, in, like, Washington, for example, who have stated that their hospital is at capacity. Um, 80% of their beds are filled by COVID-19 patients, and their entire ICU is full of COVID-19 patients. Um, As well as that case study from Washington um, showed um, high rates of of mortality among people who were put on a ventilator. So once being put on a ventilator, um, the, the risk of passing away was much higher and it's concerning. And so um, when we talk about the need to physical distance, you know, everyone's calling it social distancing. We want to make sure that, you know, you still are keeping in contact with people socially. So we'd like to call it physical distancing. Um, it's really important that you practice that so we can get ahead of this curve. We can flatten the curve um, to, re- you know, to reduce the tragedy of this situation, which is already tragic. Mm. Um, let's uh, take another break. When we come back, I want to hear uh, uh, another short excerpt from uh, later in uh, this episode of Debunked, and we'll talk more with uh, Tim Light, who's the host of Debunked and the program director of Debunked, uh, Dr. Sandra Sulzer, who's uh, Health and Wellness Extension Specialist for Utah, also a USU Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Health uh, Science. Let's take another break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Idaho National Laboratory, welcoming a new supercomputer named Sawtooth.
with the power to run complex modeling and simulation applications and helping to develop next-generation nuclear technologies. Information on INL's YouTube channel. Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz Time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. And Utah Public Radio is supported in part by our members and Rocky Mountain Power, offering incentives to help businesses save money and energy with energy-efficient upgrades to lighting, cooling systems, and other electrical equipment. Information at wattsmart.com. You're listening to Access U-Time. Tom Williams. We are talking about the coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19. Uh, seems like it's all COVID-19 all the time right now, but it's it's what's on our minds. It's what's got us home, uh, physical distancing and uh, taking precautions. And we want to get good information out there. That's what the latest episode of Debunked, new podcast, is doing. Um, normally debunked, uh, produced by the USU Tribal Rural Opioid Initiative and USU Extension in conjunction with Utah Public Radio, focuses on harm reduction, debunking myths around the opioid crisis. Newest episode focuses on providing up-to-date evidence-based resources regarding COVID-19. should mention that uh, debunked is additionally sponsored by Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. You can find this wherever you find your podcasts and on upr.org, our website, UPR. We're talking with the host of Debunk, Tim Light, and Debunk's program director, Dr. Sandra Sulzer from Utah State University. Uh, so let's jump right in. Let's hear just a, oh, a couple minutes maybe uh, from a little later on in this latest episode of Debunked. So I think importantly, um, when we say social distancing, we truly mean physical distancing. We don't mean actual social distancing. So, you know, I personally, what I've taken upon myself is that every day I reach out to at least two people that I know of in my network who might be vulnerable or might need additional help. And whether that's someone who is a little bit older and higher risk, for example, I have an aunt in her 80s, you know, if I can go to the grocery store for my aunt and I'm lower risk, um, that can help protect her. Um and in addition, research has shown that volunteering and service to others is a natural um, counterbalance to feeling isolated and alone. So if you're feeling signs of hopelessness, um, you're feeling really down, you're feeling isolated, this is an opportunity to reach out and help others. That um, is a huge deterrent to some of the mental health effects you might be experiencing in isolation. Um, just because you can't physically be around people just means you have to put more energy into making sure you're doing video calls, you're checking in on people in other ways, you're looking into online groups that you can chat with or hang out with virtually. And also I wanted to mention that in Extension we're launching a program um, specifically geared toward this right now. So if you are isolating at home and you're feeling disconnected from your community, we have a program called the Master Health Volunteer Program and the education for it is online. 
And the entire curriculum teaches you about health and wellness with an end goal of supporting you to return volunteer hours in your community. And it's true that COVID-19 is going to shape how we do our volunteerism. We're obviously not running big events or, or youth camps or something like that right now. Um, but we all have elderly in our community. We all have people who lack housing in our community. There are many vulnerable populations that we can be supporting. And the way I think of it is I'm one person. If I reach out to just two people a day as my minimum, right, that's three people if you include me who every day are going to be a little bit healthier through this. So the Master Health Volunteer Program so um, these are shorter excerpts than I was planning on, but I don't want to concentrate on the live conversation here, which I think is equally uh, helpful, and uh, encourage people to go listen to Debunked, um, the first two episodes, and then this latest, episode 2.5, at upr.org is where you can find it, upr.org, and anywhere you find your uh, podcast. Uh, Tim Blight, also on social media, tell us again where you can find us them uh, Debunked on the social media. Yeah, it's on. Um, you can find it on social media at Debunked Pod, um, or you can also find the the um, podcast. You can listen to the podcast on the podcast app if you use an Apple device or Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast. It's also on upr.org. All right, uh, Doctor Soltzer, you uh, we heard you repeat what I had you say earlier in the program. Uh, if you check in on two people a day, like you're doing, then that's three people that have, that are helped. You know, reaching out. Uh, which is which is wonderful advice. I, I want to follow up on something you say later on in the podcast. If you tune in, you hear Dr. Sulcer say this. Uh, by the way, debunked. You can find it at upr.org and anywhere you find podcasts, uh, new new podcast. Um, you talk about how you moved to Utah from elsewhere, and that you've you were you're quite heartened by Utah's. I think you call it the social solidarity that you found in Utah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I travel a lot for work, and I can remember uh, in my first winter in Logan, uh, you know, coming back from the airport, from being who knows where, um, and so many flights get in at night, and driving up my driveway, and it had snowed, and, and just seeing that I didn't even know which neighbor had done it, but my neighbors knew I traveled a lot, and, and there was, you know, a, a plowed driveway. So I could actually get into my house at midnight or, or whenever I got back. And so I think Utahns have a tremendous commitment um, to looking after each other. Um, and some of that comes from the religious context. Some of it probably comes from living out west. Um, some of it probably comes from having large extended family networks where, you know, we're used to having big groups of people take care of each other. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I've been really impressed. Um, I know I've seen our Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox give a number of um, a number of Facebook or, you know, live tweet um, sessions where he's really talking about the public health information. And, and I'm seeing, by and large, Utahns are, are responding. They are showing up for each other. Um, and I think that the governor's call for a weekend of services last weekend is another example of that. Uh, so, and you're, you're suggesting that I guess we we keep volunteering, we keep helping, and maybe just have to make some adjustments. Uh, tell us again where to where to find those extension programs that you were talking about. So we have um, an extension COVID nineteen page, so that has information about some of our programs. 
But if you're just sitting at your computer right now, you can Google Master Health Volunteer USU, and you'll see um, an online course that you can just uh, log into for free to get a preview of what it is. We're actually waiving the fee for the full course. So it's 40 hours total of education around health and wellness. And then in return, we invite you to return 40 hours of service that particularly meets the needs of your community. And we're working hard right now to modify um, our volunteer uh, program uh, development a little bit so that we have more COVID-19 suggestions available to you depending on where you are. So you would work with wherever you are in the state of Utah, you would work with your local county faculty member and they would support you in this time uh, coming up with a way to serve your community. And this online program is a great way to, you know, learn a little bit more about health and wellness broadly um, and maybe make you feel a little bit more equipped to face this pandemic. Yeah, some great resources. I want to turn to, to Tim. Uh, just have a couple of minutes left in the program. I think it was Sandra that uh, talked about this in the podcast about our healthcare system and vulnerable populations. The quote is, no one is safe when some of us are not safe. I wondered, uh, Tim, you, you expressed compassion for our vulnerable populations early in the program. That's why you're doing the podcast and the reason why you're getting into healthcare. I wonder if you talk about this, uh, I guess, from your point of view, we're all in this together. Yeah, um, it's true. We are all in this together. And like Dr. Solzer said earlier, this uh, virus, COVID-19, spreads exponentially. So when she said... Um, that, you know, uh, no one is safe. What, what was the quote again, Tom? I'm losing it. <laughs> uh, let's see. No one is safe when some of us are not safe. Yeah. So that's just, you know, that's just getting at the point that it's, it, this virus is extremely vir- virulent and um, it spreads quickly. And so if we're not practicing these, these public health um, efforts together of social distancing, if we're not doing this together, then you know, um, none of us really are safe because people are, you know, can still spread the virus. And so we, we all need to pull together right now, um, which I feel like we are doing. Um, and it's been, it's been encouraging to me to see the global effort that's being put into, um, you know, you know, addressing this crisis, addressing this pandemic. Um, it's a big issue, but we have a lot of people, um, pushing to resolve it. So, um, that's really encouraging. It gives me a lot of hope. And uh, Tim Light, what's coming up with Debunked? What are what are future episodes going to talk about? Yeah, good question. We're going to keep um, debunking myths. We have uh, the reason this episode is episode two point five is because um, originally we planned on producing one episode per month, but with COVID nineteen coming up, we decided that uh, this was too important. Um, we needed to debunk some of the myths related to COVID nineteen. Um, it was just our responsibility as people who are working in the public health field to do something. And uh, so that's why it's 2.5. But future episodes will continue to debunk myths related to harm reduction, um, such as um, like what Dr. Solzer talked about earlier, um, you know, like methadone is the same as heroin or other medication-assisted treatments are the same as, you know, using illicit drugs, um, which is not true. And uh, we'll also address some myths relating to stereotypes with certain um, ethnicities and uh, races. Um, so it's, it's going to be exciting. We hope everyone will take the time to listen because it's really important information. And um, our team, we you know, we have a huge team. It's over 20 people working toward 
you know, disseminating this knowledge out to people who listen to this podcast. Um, so uh, we're all in this together. We, it's, it's just really important. So we hope everyone will tune in. Well, Debunked is a new podcast produced by the USU Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative and USU Extension in conjunction with Utah Public Radio, additionally sponsored by Regions Blue Cross and Blue Shield. You can find Debunked. There's two episodes already. Well, 2.5 to a 3, because <laughs> it's 1 and 2 and 2.5, all up there at upr.org and wherever you get your podcasts, and more are coming. We've been talking with the host of Debunked, Tim Light. Tim, uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. And Debunk's Program Director, Dr. Sandra Saltzer, who's USU Assistant Professor of Kinesiology and Health Science and Health and Wellness Extension Specialist for Utah. Dr. Saltzer, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, tomorrow we'll continue our discussion uh, about COVID-19, how it's affecting all of us. We're going to talk about how we can be resilient with all that's happening. We're going to talk about especially how all this is impacting children and individuals with disabilities. We're talking with Vonda Jump Norman from uh, USU's uh, Social Work uh, uh, Department. Um, also, uh, she's director of the Trauma Resiliency Project at the Family Place in Logan. Matthew Wappet will join us. He's director of USU Center for Persons with Disabilities. And Derek Tullifson. Uh, who's uh, head of the USU Department of Sociology, Social Work, and Anthropology, director of iSystem Institute, will be with us as well. Hope you will be as well. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, improving communities through ideas and action. Online at utahhumanities.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR, Logan. KUSK, Vernal. KUSL, Richfield. KUST, Moab. KCEU, Price. KUSU, FM, Logan. Also heard at upr.org.